0: Greetings to all of you, I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Bearspaw, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. As you know, Pastor Henry is preaching through the Book of Romans, and he will continue to do so whenever he preaches. And today I want to start a parallel sermon series that will be on the weekends when Pastor Henry is not preaching. We are calling this series, unshakable. Well, if you're honest, we all have been unsettled by the events of the last two years. Unless you're a monk who lives in a monastery far, far away, you've been impacted. The ground around us is shaky, and just about when we think we have turned a corner, something else seems to pop up. Now, the world is unwell, the church is hurting, and no one wants this to prolong. In the midst of all that is happening, and I'm crazy enough to believe God's people can be unshakable. It's not because we are shielded from all of these trials or because we are invincible on our own. No, we are frail and weak like everybody else. But here's the difference we are part of an unshakable kingdom. We have a king who fights our battles, and his promises are well able to sustain us, no matter how dark it gets. Jesus offers us a firm foundation on which we can build our life, and that foundation cannot be shaken. So Jesus talked about this towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. When we put his teachings into practice, when we base our life on God's word, when our convictions are rooted in him, the storms may come, the sea may roar, the wind may beat against us, but our foundation is not shaken because God sustains us and upholds us and he holds us in the palm of his hand. It doesn't mean we will not have seasons of doubts or difficult days when we will wrestle with our faith. But mature Christians fix their eyes on Jesus, and that's what anchors them, stabilizes them. So in this sermon series, we will unpack different aspects of the spiritual life that are unshakable. And to start us off, I want to talk to us today about unshakable confidence. And towards the end of this message, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So if you're watching us online and you want to join in this worship experience with us, then have a piece of bread and some juice ready so you can partake of it together towards the end of this message. unshakable confidence. Is that even possible when we're facing one intimidating challenge after another? When we're confronted regularly with fears and threats? And where does that confidence even come from? We're going to look at one of the most well-known stories in the Bible that addresses this very question. Now call the story the mother of all battles, in which the unlikely person, the underdog, wins the contest. The story I'm talking about is the story of David and Goliath. Our text for today is from 1 Samuel chapter 17. It'll take a long time to read the entire chapter, so let's read a portion of 1 Samuel 17. And if you're physically able, I'll ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. 1 Samuel 17, verses 41 to 15. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone... Sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we sang of your greatness and power. We want to see it afresh through the preaching of your word. So would you open our eyes and grant us, Lord, a deeper understanding of who you are, of your unchanging character and your faithfulness. And maybe not fight our battles in our own strength, but maybe learn to rely on you and allow you to fight the battles on our behalf. So personalize this message for us, whatever we may be wrestling with, that this message will speak to us in a fresh new way. we pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You all may be seated. When our oldest son was about three years old, he loved the famous animated Bible show, Veggie Tales. And they have a great episode on the story of David and Goliath. A small asparagus takes on a giant pickle, Can it get any more interesting than that? And our son was so influenced by this that he always had small rocks in his pocket. And he will take a small towel, put a rock inside, wrap the towel around it, and he will swing it like David. And one Sunday afternoon, I was napping on the couch, totally oblivious of the coming disaster. And I thought I heard the word Goliath, And before I could open my eyes, a rock came flying and hit me right in the forehead. (laughs) Talk about precision and accuracy. Thankfully, this Goliath is still standing. So kids, if you're listening to this, please don't try this at home. (laughs) You know, people who don't even know or read the Bible regularly are aware of this story of David and Goliath. A Mark Twain in his book, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, presents a scene where Tom is in Sunday school. When the Sunday school teacher asks Tom to identify the first two disciples of Jesus, Tom blurts out David and Goliath. The point is even Tom Sawyer knows these two well-known Bible characters. And the phrase uh, David and Goliath is used commonly to refer to improbable victories has become a common expression in sports to refer to an underdog team that takes on one with greater reputation. Malcolm Gladwell, in his secular book, David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants, derives lessons for businesses from the story. Any popular story can get distorted in its interpretation, and uh, this one is no exemption. So today we're going to focus on the of the story, which is not the art of fighting battles or how to slay giants. This is about a holy confidence in who God is, no matter what threats we may face in life. That's what set apart David from the rest of the Israelites. Now let's examine the main characters in the story, starting with Goliath. Goliath is often referred to as a giant. Though the text itself does not use that word to refer to Goliath. and When we use the word giant, we think of uh, fairy tales. So I would actually prefer the word gigantic. A Goliath was gigantic, a tall guy, a fearsome warrior, not some fairy tale monster. 1 Samuel 17.4, it says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Interestingly, that word champion that's used here to refer to Goliath can be translated go between. So this suggests Goliath was a warrior who represented the entire army in what is called a representative combat. So if he wins, the entire army wins, and if he loses, the entire army loses. And Goliath's height, according to our text, is over nine feet tall. So Goliath will be any NBA team's dream player. And the tallest man alive today, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, is a guy from Turkey who comes close to eight feet and three inches. And they say the tallest man in uh, modern times was a guy from Illinois who was a whopping eight feet, 11 inches. Abnormally tall people have a hormone problem that causes this kind of massive growth. So Goliath being over nine feet tall is not unreasonable. Uh, The text in 1 Samuel 17 gives great attention to Goliath's military gear, wardrobe and ornaments and all the things that he has. place in the Bible would you actually see such in-depth attention being paid to a person's armaments? The point is to show us, not only is Goliath a towering hulk, but he has got the latest gadgets and ammunition. The Philistines were known for their innovation in warfare, so they had the latest in artillery. And Goliath, their most technologically sophisticated warrior must have been quite an imposing sight. His armor alone weighed 125 pounds. He carried a javelin. His spearhead weighs 15 pounds. He has a helmet, leg protectors. He looks overpowering, formidable, and fearsome. Who could possibly defeat a guy like this? Goliath not only looked intimidating, but so were his words. He was not mincing any words here in the text. Look at verses eight to 10. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, You will become our subjects and serve us. And the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Now who would want to take on a person like Goliath when the stakes are so high? If you lose the battle, the entire nation loses. The word defy occurs frequently in this chapter and it's a strong word. It is a taunt, a mockery, and Goliath is disdaining the army of Israel. And the Israelite army in turn covered in fear. Verse 11 of our text says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now there are Two other tall characters in our story, maybe not as tall as Goliath, but if Goliath was the tallest among the Philistines, these two were the tallest among the Israelites. The first tall person in the story is Saul. Someone the scripture says was head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel. Besides, Saul is the king, so he should be the rightful person to stand up to Goliath's challenge. The tallest Philistine versus the tallest Israelite seems to be a fitting contest. But Saul is afraid, terrified, he's unable to see past Goliath's intimidating demeanor. Then there's another tall person in the story. It's Eliab, David's oldest brother. He's enlisted in the army Interestingly, when Prophet Samuel went to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel, he first comes across Eliab, Jesse's oldest son. Samuel looks at Eliab and he sees that he's tall and strapping and concludes that possibly this is the one God has chosen to be the next king over Israel. And at that moment, God stops Samuel. And he says these words in 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 to 7. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You can glean from this text that Eliab was tall and strong and broad-shouldered and could have been a, a contender. He could have taken on Goliath, but he doesn't have the guts either. He's actually jealous that David had come to the battlefield and gets needlessly upset with him. So the two tall characters, the most likely candidates to take on Goliath, are unwilling. So who's going to take on Goliath's threat? Who's gonna face this great challenge? Who will be that contestant, that go-between, who will represent the people of God before this imposing, formidable challenge ahead of them? The narrator brings another character into the story, and this is an unlikely candidate. It's David. David was not there to fight, you see. He's carrying a lunch box for his brothers. David is the youngest, he's the shepherd doing the menial job of taking care of the family sheep. I told you about uh, Samuel going to Jesse's house and wanting to anoint one of his sons to be the next king. And Samuel did not know which son of Jesse God had chosen. So Samuel says to Jesse, I want to take a good look at all of your boys Would you mind bringing them all here? And Jesse brings seven of his sons and they all come one after another. And Samuel is puzzled. After looking at seven of them, he knew God had not handpicked any one of them there. So he's confused and he says to Jesse, something is not right. By any chance, do you have any more sons? And at that time, Jesse says, ah, I forgot. There is one more. Our youngest, he's an afterthought. He's not up to much. Just taking care of the family sheep. Do you want to see him? I don't really want to waste your time. Samuel says, bring me the boy. And he anoints David prophetically to be the next king of Israel. And this prophecy will come to pass in 15 years' time. So that is... 1 Samuel 16, and now here we are in 1 Samuel 17, and the three oldest brothers of David are fighting in the army, and dad sends David to check on them and bring them food. David is not a giant slayer, he's the DoorDash or skip the dishes guy. He comes to the battlefield just to bring food. He's the foot carrier, the little messenger boy. He has no intention of taking on giants. And at that time, David hears the taunting of Goliath. In life, you never know what God has been preparing you for until that moment of reckoning arrives. Even you don't foresee that, but this is no accident but a providential work of God in opening doors that will lead you to your destiny. And all along, for 40 days, no one in the Israelite camp had dared to respond to Goliath's threats. Everybody was silent and terrified. David breaks the silence, and for the very first time in Scripture, David speaks, and his words are recorded. For Samuel 17, verse 26, look at this. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We face all kinds of battles in life. Intimidating circumstances, insurmountable odds and challenges. Those very things that deflate our spirits But in order to face those challenges, we need a renewed confidence in God. Not self-confidence, but God-confidence. And that's what David brings to the story. Notice the wordings. Goliath says, I defy the armies of Israel. The Israelites are quoted as saying, this man defies Israel, the entire nation." David comes to the picture, and what does he notice first? David does not just see Goliath defying the armies or the nation, but Goliath was defying the living God. Three times in this chapter, David explicitly says that, that Goliath was defying God, insulting God, and David was not going to put up with that because this battle was all about God's glory. And interestingly, there's no mention of God in the story until David arrives. The army of Israel is running away because they're frightened. And through David's coming, God is brought into the story. And when God is in the house, everything is going to be okay. But David knew very well the opposition or challenges that God's people face when they engage in his cause, is a threat or opposition against God himself. And while all of Israel was obsessed with the size of Goliath, David focused on the size of his God. So here's a question, how big is your God? When you leave God out of the picture, your problems look daunting, insurmountable. But when you bring God into the equation, your problems are put into perspective. For who can stand against God Almighty? Who can thwart his kingdom purposes? Who can stop the Lord or hinder his work? David takes one look at Goliath and he doesn't comment about his size or his fearful appearance. Instead, he asks the question, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? Goliath may be nine feet tall, but clearly he's no match for our God. Being uncircumcised means Goliath was not part of the covenantal community of God's people. So even though he has the arms and ammunition, the spirit of a bully and in an intimidating appearance, he did not have the protective cover of God over his life. So we learn from David not to look at the size of our problem, but look at the size of our God and be in awe and worship. And all of a sudden, your problems look small and they are put into perspective. Now the spotlight in this story is not on David. It's not on the battle between David and Goliath. The spotlight in this story is on God. It is not David's cleverness or ability to fight that wins this battle, but David gets this right. Rescue and deliverance comes from the Lord. So when David approaches Saul to have a conversation about representing Israel in this contest, This is how the conversation goes. Verses 33 to 37. Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. The last words there sums up David's confidence. He says, when I fought a lion or a bear when it came to attack my sheep, I didn't have any chance, but God saved me from the lion. He saved me from the bear. The one who has been faithful all along in these battles will also be faithful now in this battle against Goliath. See, in unstable times, we need to recollect God's faithfulness. Israel had forgotten God's power to deliver. And that is why they had no courage to face this battle. But not David. David knew God's faithfulness firsthand. Our battles today only serve as an opportunity for God to prove his faithfulness yet again. And our confidence stems from the unchanging character of who God is. Now Saul is not fully convinced with this argument. So he tries to arm David for the battle by giving him his own armor. Now I want to point out something fascinating here in the text so you understand what is going on. What we see here is a a comparison between Goliath's armor and Saul's armor with which he wants to dress up David. And you would see as you compare these two things, they're almost identical. So here's a description of Goliath's armor and then a description of Saul's. There you see and a bronze helmet on his head. And identical words, a bronze helmet on his head. And a scale of armor for his clothing. And he clothed him with armor. Goliath has a sword. Now Saul has a sword which he wants to give to David. What is going on here? Saul is trying to match Goliath strength to strength. In his view, David is not ready for the battle. He's inadequate in his resources. So let us match helmet for helmet, armor for armor, sword for sword, ammunition with ammunition. He is trying to fight Goliath using muscular strength. And what Saul doesn't know. spiritual battles don't work that way. The weapons of our warfare are not according to the ways of this world. It's sensing that, that David removes all of Saul's armor, and he chooses to rely on God. For David, what they were facing was not a military crisis, but this was a theological crisis. The bottom line here was, who were they going to trust? Humanly speaking, David didn't have the stature, the qualification, the experience, or the resources needed to win. But he had faith in a living God, and that, according to our story, is more than enough. In our own life, we face oppositions and threats that keep us from embracing God's plans and purposes for our life. Those are our Goliaths. Whatever threatens to hinder God's work in your life could be your Goliath. And we don't slay this giant through our human efforts. Our success does not hinge on how clever we are, smart we are, resourceful we are, but success hinges on our dependence upon the Lord. For no opposition is too strong, when your faith is rooted in Christ Jesus. So when Goliath sees David, Goliath is livid. Why would you send a teenager with a ruddy face to fight me? What he means is David does not even have the sign of manliness. He doesn't have a beard. Look at verses 42 to 44. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, "'Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks?' And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. "'Come here,' he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals.'" Now, Goliath is trash talking here and basically saying to David, you are not going to even get a proper burial. And he cursed David by his gods. And here's a, a little backstory for you. The god of the Philistines was Dagon. You see this earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 5. The Philistines had captured the ark of God. Now the ark of God was the most sacred object in Israel because it contained the two stone tablets on which God had inscribed the Ten Commandments. So the Philistines captured the ark and they took the ark to the temple of Dagon and they set the ark beside the idol. The next day, what did they see? Dagon had fallen face down before the ark. thinking this is some kind of a mistake, they propped the idol up, set it back again. Next day, in the morning, they opened the doors of the temple. Guess what? Dagon had fallen once again, and this time his head and his arms were broken. Yahweh, the God of Israel, was showing his superiority over the gods of the Canaanite nations. David, for sure, knew this story, He took on Goliath because he knew Dagon had already been toppled, and it's only a matter of time before Goliath will go down. So before the battle even started, David knew the outcome. And Look at what David says in the text. This is the crux of the story, the key verses in 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 and 47. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. But because David represented the God of the armies of Israel, he knew that God himself will fight this battle. And what was David's weapon? It wasn't his sling and his stone, not his skill sets and experiences. He says to Goliath, you come to me with spear and javelin and sword, but I come to you in the name of the living God. God is the warrior and the defender of his people, and I come against you in his name. And that is how we are called to fight our battles today, in the name above all names, the name of Jesus. We fight our battles not in our human strength to show off our abilities, but we fight in the name of Jesus It is with this confidence, David flings the stone. It sank deep into Goliath's forehead, and Goliath dropped down, dead. And the text indicates very clearly, David triumphed without a sword, precisely because this was not David's battle. This was God's. It was an opportunity for God to demonstrate his glory to the entire world. David simply gave room for God to fight on his behalf. here's our application. What about you? What challenges are you facing in life today? What giants are intimidating you and hindering you from fulfilling God's purposes for your life? when you're faced with those very circumstances, yield the control over to God so he can do the fighting. For I know this about myself. My striving will provide minimal results, but if God were to fight for me, that's a different story. It is this confidence in the character of God and the assurance that He fights for us that helps us to be unshakable at all times.